What is up, everybody? Uh, my name is All Hail Buckets. I will be your host for this evening. I am flanked to my side by the famous, the very famous, the even more famous, more famous than everyone that you will ever know, JTAR9. JTAR9, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm good. And below me, the adjective Moriarty. How you doing? <laughs> Which adjective? I don't remember. I Only don't bad remember. ones. Yeah, the five inches tall, Moriarty. <laughs> okay, very good. Yes, hello. <laughs> uh, and and to uh, the furthest away from me, um, also famous, the recently and moved, the recently and play buttoned, the Golden Bolt. Kevin, how are we doing? I'm doing well. Uh, we should say this is the Crubcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome it to the Crubcast. It sure is the yeah. Crubcast. You are absolutely right. Uh, and today, fellas, I've brought in a bit of a topic. A bit? Um, a bit of a topic. <laughs> just a little bit. Just a, a little it's bit. It's a tiny little boy. <laughs> it is. It's a tiny little boy. So it's just a little cute little guy. So the topic today is pivotal moments in media, right? So... Whether it's a change in technology, whether it's some piece of media that just can't be separated from its successors, there are some things that if they hadn't been made or if they hadn't been adopted, that media would not be the same, be it music, games, movies, TV, all of it, right? And uh, I wanted to talk about that today. Um, so... You know, I guess we'll we'll start with Kevin. Kevin, do you have any examples of those right off the top of your head? I I know um <laughs> we had talked about it briefly off camera, but Justin, you yeah. should start because I'm Justin a fill in to today, so I gotta <laughs> think about thinking. You well, to put me on the spot. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Um, uh, I'm, putting time, I'm putting a time stamp. <laughs> oh God! Um, I would say that the thing that kind of piqued my interest in terms of that is probably Zelda Breath of the Wild. Um, it really changed a lot of how we saw open world gaming um, since its release. And now you have a bunch of games that tried to copy its style because of how successful it was. And then you have other games that kind of do kind of the, uh, the old style and try and refine that instead of doing the, the Breath of the Wild style. Games like Horizon um, Forbidden West, they're very much so not um, Breath of the Wild. So having them do their thing while seeing the success of something like a Zelda is quite fascinating to me, considering we kind of like, you, we know how Zelda Breath of the Wild kind of changed everything. So it's interesting that you're not going in that direction, especially in a game where there's a lot of climbing on walls and stuff. Ghost of Tsushima is also a good example of that as well. Interesting. I feel like, um, yeah, I mean, I think you're right, right? Because like you got Elden Ring, and you're you're a filthy Genshin player, so there's there's that. I can't think of any other examples that directly uh, took Immortals influence Phoenix from Breath Rising. of the Wild. Immortals yeah. Phoenix Rising is a game made by Ubisoft, and it is just Breath of the Wild. <laughs> mm -hmm. They have the glider. They have the chopping down trees, climbing everything. It's it's just it's just Breath of the Wild. Um, if Brody was here, he'd be able to tell us a lot about Immortals Phoenix Rising, but he's not. <laughs> um, well, and even if you go the next step, a game like Elden Ring Elden takes Ring, yeah. steps heavily based on on what Breath of the Wild does. Even if it started production 
uh, you know, before Breath of the Wild came out, that doesn't change the fact that that game's design is just Breath of the Wild for people that uh, torture themselves. I say that as yeah. someone who has played most of Elden Ring and tortured myself. Yeah. Yeah, Elden Ring is definitely, uh, I wouldn't call it a clone, but it's no, definitely no, in that, no. that same sort of space. Um, you do have immortals <laughs> or, I guess, monsters, gods and monsters, it was at one point. Um, you have uh, Genshin Impact, which, you know, you, you could talk about there as well, it's Justin. Makes, it which makes is money hand over fist, too. It makes so much Clearly money. built off of Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Right? Like, it is, it is so closely. I, mean, I started playing uh, Genshin Impact because I wanted that taste of Breath of the Wild again, and we had been waiting for six years for Tears of the Kingdom. And yeah. I was like, you know what? I mean, I think that you've got at this point kind of three open world, I don't know, structures. You've got the Ubisoft open world. Right. You have the Breath of the Wild open world and then you have like the Skyrim open world, which I would also kind of tag in with like uh, the Witcher and, and things like that, like even though they're too. a little bit Ubisofty, Right. Yeah. Like they're not quite on that. Cla same space. Like there's classic open world in that. Yeah, game. I guess it's you have weird. classic open world, Ubisoft open world. And then Breath, of, Breath the of the Wild goes by open air was the design philosophy they described it as. Yeah. So and you've got yeah, a lot yeah, of games great. that are kind of in that space still. Uh, a lot of them are kind of indie. You don't have these big massive mm -hmm. uh, uh, clone titles. Um, the one that comes to mind is uh, a, a game called Wind, Wind, uh, Wind Bound, which was a very popular indie game for just a short period of time where you're kind of just going around on a boat. And so it's, it's, it's Breath of the Wild with boats. You're a boat. So Wind Waker. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. it was very good. It's super neat. Uh, but it still kind of follows into that, that same sort of Breath of the Wild uh, thing and then of course you've got Horizon which is sort of similar-ish and you've got Immortals um, that yeah Immortals gods and monsters like, yeah. like they're all kind of in that same sort of space and it's interesting where do we put sorry where do we put Minecraft on on this spectrum of open world sandbox types? totally sandbox different. Yeah. yeah different okay yeah that's fair actually sorry, that's a, a really good example too of a a uh, a thing that changed everything right? yeah yeah is Minecraft. Minecraft. Um, Minecraft advented, right, the the sandbox gaming. It epitomized it, and it became a global phenomenon. Yeah. Um, well, you, you've what got about, your, your well, crafting Moriarty, and you building not, and modifying, you know, all that kind of stuff. Were you not a Gary's Mod guy, Moriarty? I mean, Gmod, right, was very, very successful in a certain kind of niche group, and it has, you know, right. it's it's legacy and influence, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got the, the whole um, SFM kind of spy space and like making this machinima and all that. But I, I would say that Gmod is more famous for kind of popularizing uh, um, TTT and popularizing mm -hmm. the uh, uh, prop hunt Which more what? than it is for being this sort of open sandbox kind of world. Uh, SFM and TTT. What do those Source stand for? Filmmaker and uh, Trouble in Terrorist Town, which Trouble in Terrorist Town is just Among Us. Okay, right. Among Us is Among Trouble in Terrorist Town, but with more yeah, uh, more Town of roles. Salem. It's it's also yeah. it's more if you're familiar with the base of either Werewolf or Mafia, which mm -hmm. are what they're really based off of. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, or I guess what is that Town of Salem? That was a very popular yeah, version was, of it yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. TTT is that, but with guns and you know first mm -hmm. person. That's pretty um, cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. Like there's one person me. with a knife. They have to go around and kill people. 
and um, there's one person with a gun who is the sheriff, and they have mm. to shoot the person, and they have to, and everyone has to work together to deduce who the imposter is, basically. I love yeah. TTT. I think it's such a great game, but boy, do you mm-hmm. need a lot of people to play it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, I mean, it's so, the same same way with like Mafia and Werewolf, though. You need a lot of people, and you need people who are willing. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. the you know the biggest thing is that like sometimes people don't buy in or people do bits and it's like the bits are funny but it's like i kind of want to play the game <laughs> to a certain mm. extent the bits are funny you if know? you're in on it if you're not in on it then it doesn't really yeah. work for you no, yeah, so I, I wouldn't really say that gmod was super influential on the sandbox world right it, like it was very it definitely brought ttt out and uh its version of it was very very popular and it definitely made prop hunt kind of a go-to thing which now we've seen kind of be picked up by all sorts of games yeah uh, up to and including um, a Fortnite now so right? i actually so, i actually need to ask what prop hunt is it's been popping up on my tiktok some clips of people playing prop hunt and i don't i don't get it i don't know what the object of the game is it's hide and seek so you hide, hide as an and object seek, but you can choose yeah yeah so you you run around in a level and you see a cup and you click on the cup and now you are a cup and then you go hide in the the you know environment as a, as cup. a cup and then that sounds res- like despicably hard for the seekers there are ways to make it easier uh for one Everything that you do messes with stuff, so there's clearly physics damage in areas you've been, so you can kind of, oh, that doesn't look perfect, right? Mm. Things have been moved around and they're knocked around. Additionally, I think every 15 or 30 seconds you make a sound, in okay. most servers at least. Yeah, it's, it's like a proxy-based, you can tell where the sound's coming from kind of thing. There are also yeah, okay. other games that are indie games. I think there's one that's like kind of like a witch hunt, where you hide, you're a witch and you hide as an object. And they have yeah. like um, tools for the seekers to try and find people, things like that. Yes. And perhaps the most important part of it is that if you choose a cup, you're going to have like one HP. If you choose, you know, a bed, you might have 200 HP. So if you get shot or a grenade goes off nearby, you're going to be killed if you're in the corner as a cup. Whereas if you're, you know, an armoire, you might survive a little bit longer and not immediately die yeah, so be like oh you know, i drew a grenade at that armoire obviously it's fine yeah, that is walk away right that is yeah. incredibly interesting yes i kind of like that as a as a concept i might have to see if i have any i would like love that. to get up a, a really try. good like community game of ttt and prop hunt i think that would be a really fun thing to do but it does require a significant number of people yeah to right. do it plus well. you have to have the right games to have the right assets for each TTT and, yeah. and prop on that, which I think most of them are free now. That makes sense. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna end up buying something like a Counter Strike Source, but that's way out. We are so far in the weeds. Yeah, we're now. <laughs> no, that's we're now fine. Going I, I was curious. That's okay. That's okay. Um, I was I, I was question, curious. Though. Do you think yeah. that the the, the G Mod community is like the first game to really have that like you bring your own fun to it kind of um a thing? Because like you see that more and more nowadays with things like Sea of Thieves. And yeah. uh, Skull and Bones and, and things like that. Um, and, and Minecraft to a certain extent. Yeah. your own fun. But um, I, I'm, kind of, I'm trying to think, when was the first game that really like did something like that? And I, we haven't heard from Kevin yet, so I want to see what he thinks. You are throwing me into the most interesting positions uh, in this podcast today. <laughs> well, uh, I'll explain f- why after we're done. But there, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm thinking... Uh, I don't know that I consider Gmod a bring-your-own-fun game, mainly because it was a a conduit for uh, 
it was a conduit for modding, obviously. Mm-hmm. It was a conduit for, like, it's a different kind of sandbox where, like, it's, Minecraft yeah, definitely is kind of game, bring your own fun, but Minecraft has, uh, like, Minecraft is Legos. I don't consider that as much of a bring your own fun as Rust. That that kind of uh, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Like, like bring your own fun to me is here's a world, figure it out, uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to make a world. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that bit. all of this kind of follows off of the the early sort of simulation sandbox games, like the Sim games, uh, mm-hmm. Sim City and Sim Ants and all that kind of stuff. The city builders, where you are given the tools to make your own whatever, but there's still sort of a game there, right? Yeah. And then that sort of followed on as it, you know, whatever. Uh, I would say maybe though, GMod is the first of the more kind of modern um, sandbox games. I think there was a an MMO called Second Life that's a little bit, a little uh, bit yeah. closer towards like the beginning. It may be earlier by a year or a few months, um, but those two games are definitely super influential in this. But when we're talking about sandbox games, Minecraft changed everything and it changed yeah. it really, really yeah. quickly. Not when it first launched in like 2009 or whatever, but a few years after that when it came out with... One of the early betas that was very popular, um, where they introduced a whole bunch of blocks. I want to say it was in 2011, but it might have been 2012. That that sound that lines up with the history of Minecraft that I know. Yeah, a few years after it had done its first initial launch, um, then it came out with just swinging, you know, just absolutely swinging, mm-hmm. and Minecraft took over the world and has never stopped taking over the world. Yeah. Uh, it's still the most what profitable, most played game ever right Dude, like it's, it's with, so with number of of sales i think it is higher than any other game by a significant it's, amount it's either that or tetris yeah. I, I think tetris has the most units yeah but not the most sales oh because yeah. it was included on a lot of things for yeah, free and metro um, and uh no, minecraft had a lot of uh merchandising stuff yeah, yeah so it's made just a disgusting amount of money the best purchase that mine uh that microsoft ever did was pay only two billion dollars for Minecraft. yeah seriously <laughs> yeah, the that's fact a that wild. Triple. Sorry, the, I say the, the fact they're paying triple the price for Activision is kind of nutty. Now that you say that, triple, that's more. They're than paying triple. thirty. They're paying yeah. thirty oh, times 30? the price for Activision. I thought what, it was what, was the, what was the what was the what was they're Disney Star Wars? Was that nine billion? Was Disney Activision. Star Wars four billion or seven billion? I want to say it was six. But okay, so ten times what Disney paid for Star Wars is what Activision is is the buyout is for. That doesn't yes. seem right. God, the yeah. the inflation of of mergers and acquisitions is insane in recent years. Mm-hmm. It's it's between that and Twitter. Like I think the, the the value of the dollars has exploded in terms of like company buyouts. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, that one's an interesting, an interesting. Yeah, that one's that was a whole other story. But like the fact that Activision Blizzard me, has value, Twitter doesn't really. For that. Actually. I have a parlay. I have a parlay here. Um, <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> parlay. Well, I have a seg. Twi- Twitter. Um, like Twitter and like social media and everything wouldn't have happened without MySpace, right? Like MySpace was kind None of none of them would happen without Friendster. Quite Fr- yeah, Friendster, and then Blogspot also is pretty important too, right? Yeah. I mean, depending on how far you want to go back, you could even argue like some part of GeoCities kind of before that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, GeoCities. Yeah. 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 Yeah, any of these things, nothing's original. Any of these things that start with like the idea of making the internet and creation on the internet accessible to non like developers, like people who don't want to like learn how to code all the time. That's all um you know, yeah. 
that makes sense. Trace it back to GeoCities and, and that era. Yeah, because I feel like people would have naturally come up with the idea of, like, have creating communities and finding people online. Yeah. Um, because or, like, a YouTube, like, people would have arrived at, like, video hosting sites, I think, no matter what. Like, a like the idea of a YouTube. Um, and YouTube well, YouTube was started be. on MySpace, right? Like, YouTube was a, a uh, an app that was loaded through MySpace. And that then, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Google then decided to offer them uh, like $2 million, I think. Man. <laughs> you want to talk good buyouts. I was saying, and you yeah. want to talk good buyouts. Yeah. It's an amazing one. And, yeah, they offered and them very little money. Um, but they were also super broke because it turns out the video hosting is disgustingly expensive. <laughs> Which makes sense. Yeah, it's the reason fair. why there is no good competitor to YouTube, right? Like mm -hmm. the, the only thing that we could have in this space, um, there's two companies that could ostensibly uh, combat a YouTube and neither of them are. One of them is Amazon, which we could have had a Twitch huh. tube, right? We huh. could have had an Amazon tube. They tried um, poorly. They tried yeah. very poorly. I thought it was going to happen when Twitch streaming started to have their uh, scheduled VODs. Yep. I was like, oh, okay, so we're going to have a system now for handling VODs on the back end, and that means that we're going to eventually see Amazon Tube. And this was also, if you recall, uh, at the same time, Google was pulling all of the Amazon Kindle store stuff off of Google Play, mm -hmm. and uh, Amazon was pulling all of the Google stuff off of the Kindles. So, like, you couldn't run um, Amazon Prime Video through a Chromecast. It just won't work. Yeah. Right? So all that kind of back and forth of, of that stuff um, was happening through Amazon. And then the, the second potential and could still become a potential competitor, maybe, would be Netflix. They have the bandwidth. They, they have the servers. They understand how it works to do video stuff. They're just not really focused on making kind of these lower tier, you know, uh, video stuff. But I think that with, as we're seeing with podcasts, right, we are seeing where people are buying podcasts left and right because they want to own the, the kind of content that people will follow. Right. And people will follow for podcasts. They'll follow to Spotify. They'll follow to to YouTube. They'll follow to whatever in order to get the, the podcast that they really love. I think that we we have the potential for Netflix to say, hey, we have all this back end. We have all this stuff. And why do we need we need more people to actually come and watch Netflix and, and we need to make the money. And we're not making a whole lot of the original uh, um, uh series and all that kind of stuff, right? Like we're, we're, we're making a lot less money off of those because we would subsidize them with these purchases of the office and, uh, purchases of, of, um, Seinfeld and friends and all that kind of stuff. Right. And people would come and watch all of those and, 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 and subsidize these costs of originals. And, um, they're not. So I think that we have the potential of seeing them say, Hey, we're going to bring in a lot more of these very low end originals who are very, very cheap and potentially do maybe in the future. See, and I you know who needs originals. <laughs> you know who needs money for originals? That's right, folks. It's us. Please subscribe to the Crubcast Patreon. You can find us uh, at crub.org. You can find absolutely everything that you need. Find us on all audio platforms. Catch us on YouTube, social media, at Crub Official on everything, except for Twitch, which is at Crub underscore official. But folks, if you're listening to us on an audio platform, I guarantee you it costs you not nearly as much as it costs Netflix to get these properties. If you want to just slide on over to YouTube and press that subscribe button, I guarantee you it's free. And you know what? Hit that like button, 
It's, uh, that costs you nothing either, and if you don't like it by the end of the video, you can take it back, as Kevin always says. I was going to set you up for that, Sig, uh, but then um, made an interesting point that I'll actually dispute. I don't think Netflix is the one that would do it, mainly because I don't think they have a monetization path for uh, hosted video content, even if it was behind like a you have to sign up and be one of the approved creators. I think uh, that opens up a lot of risk for them uh, in that either A, you are then paying for Netflix and part of the Netflix cost is then going into subsidizing the creator fund, or B, it's a separate site that is freely hosted. That means that Netflix has to run ads more frequently on that separate part of Netflix for well, Netflix so Tube. The, that was actually the reason that made me think about it was then they, they started talking about doing a Netflix free that's ad supported. And if you're going to do that, all of a sudden it makes sense to suddenly create sort of user generated uh, generated content right because yeah. then it makes sense to have it and then you could even do it like they do with the Amazon Kindle Prime or Kindle Unlimited or with the uh the the um YouTube Premium where you're getting a percentage of the monthly uh spend based off of the number of viewers that you're getting sure sure i my thought was more that um the the closer you get into that uh, territory, the closer, the more scrutiny that Netflix's phones oh, absolutely. go under. And I think absolutely. they're afraid at all costs. Uh, they don't want to uh, have people see what their finances are like because then it all comes crashing down. I think the third... <laughs> uh, it all comes rather, out. Yeah. Sorry. I think the third of the three uh, would actually be Apple. Because they have the war yeah. chest to say, fuck it, we'll do it. They yeah. really do. That's but, true. Um, I don't see that how Apple Apple would want creative control, right? And we've seen that with their podcasts. If you you look mm -hmm. at how like podcast systems work for Apple, right? They they want too much creative control. I yeah. don't know that they would allow you to have a stream or a video on there, but they do have the war chest. They have like two hundred billion dollars in cash. They could literally pay, you know, uh, every every single mid range creator a good annual salary to come over to Apple yeah. and and just hey, own hey it. Apple. Yo, you want you want the call us. Dude, yeah. We'll get, call, we'll yeah, get call the, the Crubcast. Crubcast. Call the Crubcast. We're, we're mid-range. Mid we'll produce, <laughs> we'll produce content for no, you. We're not talking mid as in quality. <laughs> no, yeah. no, 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 no. We are, we are a bang for your buck podcast. Why which, are you pitching yourself to Tim Cook right now? <laughs> because I want Tim some Apple. of the Timmy money. I'll pitch, I'll pitch myself to absolutely anybody. I am not, <laughs> not discriminatory there. Um, but <laughs> I, I do have to say that I think the iPhone is also something that was incredibly influential. Possibly the biggest thing ever. The iPhone. I think that. Yeah, no. I think no, that BlackBerry there's has electricity more... and cameras and all sorts of things. <laughs> I yeah. Think okay. That, okay. I think sorry. The, the biggest fire, thing the since wheel, God. Like, <laughs> yeah. Okay, the biggest thing <laughs> since the year 2000 or something. You know what I mean? I, I like, think it's, that BlackBerry is a lot more influential just from the basis of, of it being the first like personal computer that like they did get Dennis uh, they did get Dennis to play Jonathan Blackberry in the Blackberry movie right you mean the first pocket PC not yeah the first that's what I mean PC. yeah, yeah. Pocket um, PC. careful Wait, yeah, that's, that's what they know that's what they I, were called don't don't Google that one don't I Google don't, that phonetically yeah, do not Google that yeah I don't 
I, I would have so, gone with like uh, advanced PDA. Yeah, advanced anything. PDA because because the PDA was never well, connected they, they, to the internet like that. It, you could connect want, it like they didn't by want landline. To, they didn't want Actually, to compare with Palm. I call it a Palm fair. PDA. That's fair. We call it a personal pan PDA, Ooh. a personal pan PC. Yeah, <laughs> BlackBerry is really influential. You're absolutely right, but they were influential because they focused exclusively on high net worth CEO, high power yeah. people, right? And uh, they did it all through this this system. Um, that was available to them for free. You could not easily replicate that today. And in fact, because of it, uh, they don't exist anymore. Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, the only the only existing so, name because BBM is on like the app, the Apple, the i, the App Store and the Google Play Store and stuff like that. Yeah. Their no, their brand is still out there, but they're owned by some venture capitalist, as far as I know. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Makes sense. Which one's more influential, though, is really really difficult because the iPhone changed a lot of things. Um, Microsoft at that time did not want to, and they could have, uh, did not want to create a touchscreen anything because they believed that touchscreens were foolish. You had, um, what's his name? The <laughs> the guy. Bill, oh, Bill I Gates. hate him so much. Steve Ballmer. Oh, you had Steve Ballmer, who, if you look at every decision he made for Microsoft, if you just bet against him, you won every time. The man <laughs> w- was perfect at choosing the worst. Oh, who would ever want to touch their phone? That's disgusting. Who would ever want to have music, it's digital music, in their pocket? Why would you want that? No, no. Okay. Who would ever want to have a big screen phone, like some sort of a tablet thing? Who would want that? Nobody wants to play video games at home. I mean, like, literally, every decision I, this I man need made to, was like fascinatingly bad i need to i need to agree with him on the touchscreen one as much as i'm used to it now and i love touchscreens i can't see myself like really using a touchscreen for something like a computer whereas for something like a phone maybe it makes a no, little no, bit no. more see, that's sense the thing. He, he saw that and he was like oh people really like touching their phones on on the phone we should make them touch their computers it came out with windows 8 he's uh, every yeah decision, and windows 8 was made for touchscreens People remember did not after like the, 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 phone, no, the iPhone came out, he pushed the kin. Do you remember the kin? Do you Wait, know? This, no, I don't. It was what his is, idea? That's hilarious. What is what? What the heck is the kin? And the kin? It, who knows? It's a weird fucking phone that okay. nobody understands because it's Man. like a sideways BlackBerry thing, but it's really cheap and it only runs on its own social media. Like, nice. like like a Google oh, Plus. It's Google Plus. Yeah. Google Plus. You want to talk the most pivotal, uh, inspirational moments of all time? Google Plus. Google, Google Plus, Plus baby. One. Dude, That's we tried, one. man. We tried. What do you, what um, do you mean yes. we? I did nothing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, we tried. <laughs> I had like I had friends back in the day that like we tried to like make it. We tried to make Google Plus a thing. Like we were like, "Oh, we could be on the bleeding edge of technology and have Google Plus accounts for when this blows up because Google is like a huge massive company, right?" Um that did not work. We swiftly got rid of our Google Plus accounts because nobody used them ever. No, it was just spam. It was full of spam. Um, <laughs> well, because they the- had like circles and stuff. It was like weird that it was like it asked you to rank your friends essentially. It was like, I mean, oh, Twitter, Twitter eventually took that system and it did make sense. But <laughs> the way that, that Google Plus did it was just very, very dumb because there was no public social anything except for spam. Yep. So just, right. it was very bad. Yeah. Um, no, that's fair. I will say that the most... So, uh, I want to give you okay. just very quickly because I think it's it's always fun to shit on Steve Ballmer because he was an idiot. Uh, <laughs> th- there was one thing he did that I think is really, really funny. Um, 
it, he's so it's that need they was like oh we gotta take out Google we we gotta get rid of Google can't have Google they're too big of a competitor and um, they had he... two options right and he was like no 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 we're not gonna go after them on their phones Windows Phone will always be the best thing. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to create this thing called Bing, and we're going to remove their ability to do search engines. Oh my and God. he spent, I think, $15 billion uh, trying to get rid of Google from search um, while not focusing on Android at all. Wow. And now, do you know a single person with a Windows phone? They don't no. exist anymore. I know somebody with Bing, though. Yeah, I do know people who use Bing. I do know people who yeah. use Bing. Yeah. But, well, although the... To be fair to those people, as much as I disagree with their life decisions, their family, and everything that they've ever uh, said in their lives, um, they are correct in that they use Bing for like Xbox rewards. Mm, like they get yeah. like Xbox rewards points for Bing, and so that's can, the only that, way that anyone is, uses Bing. Yeah. But that's also proof of how bad Bing was as a concept yes. that they have to pay you to use it, and yeah. people still don't. No, when when you were when you immediately <laughs> when you, you said. Money. When you said I want to like I want to shit on this guy some more, um, it I was he came like up with oh, Windows Vista, I bet, Nico. I was like I bet he conceptualized Bing, and then you immediately went on to outline how he conceptualized Bing. Bing. Everything <laughs> seriously, if you just like list out all the things that Steve Ballmer did, um, and, and you were just like, okay, so how did the market react to this? In every single case, he was wrong. Every single case, <laughs> except like at one point, right. He tried to, and you, you might remember this, he tried to turn Xbox into the the uh, uh, home um, cable box. Yes. That was his big idea. It's got to be a cable box. And he tried to do this for many years, right? And at one point, Bill Gates had to come in and be like, no. <laughs> yeah, and then Bill Gates like... wasn't a part of it anymore. And what did the, he immediately do? Because they're, they're still a pass-through. Ah. If, if you have the old Xbox One, there's a pass-through specifically for you to plug your HDMI from your cable box into your Xbox and then the Xbox into the TV. That's so extraneous. What is that? Oh, oh, my God. So you can control I, your TV with Connect because Connect is the future. Connect oh is oh the future. Oh, my God, dude. Yeah. I had a Connect when those things like first came I out. Like I bought it like immediately because I was like, oh, this is going to be cool, and then it wasn't. I bought a Wii, and I was like, oh, this is going to be cool, and then it wasn't. Speaking of influential technologies, the Wii. Um, and uh, uh, You just literally proved how it wasn't, though. Like, precisely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You didn't like well, PS the thing Move? Is, no, I think, I think the Wii... If we're talking in terms of like pivotal moments, the Wii is one of them uh, yeah. because it set the stage for the uh, the normification of games, uh, which is what oh, led to, to apps down the road after that. A hundred percent. I uh, absolutely agree. That's the Wii really yeah, made good. it kind of uh, It's why Nintendo struggled because they had the idea yeah. for a tablet, but they were late because the yeah. iPad came first. If yeah. the Wii U comes out a year or two prior, uh, it yeah. still sucks, but it... It's a much it's, more interesting it's, device. It's at the yeah. cutting edge, yeah. 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 No, absolutely, 100%. That's fair. Yeah. Man. I mean, ironically, of course, Nintendo wouldn't have come up with it because of their whole lateral technology with withered whatever thing, mm. right? Yeah. Their lateral thinking with withered technology. Uh, so, like, they never would have come out with a tablet first, specifically because it would have been too expensive. I think, for them to I think the tablet was actually, I want to say, when did the iPad first drop? 2010? 2010? 2010? I, can Google that. I think it's 2010. The, I, the iPhone's 2007. iPhone's 2004. Is it? 
iPod iPod Touch is 2004. I thought iPhone was 2007. Um, 2010 Maybe for the wrong. iPad. Hey, got it right. That was um, impressive, actually. It is 2007. You're right. Wow. <laughs> Uh, iPhone launch, yeah, 2007. Okay, so I got uh, two for two. Let's fucking go. Yeah. Uh, I um. When was the I was iPod say, Touch first launched? Oh four, oh four, oh three, yeah. maybe. Because yeah, it was oh four because the Office. I'm clearly just shifted slightly. Uh, 2007 iPod Touch first launch. But the, I think hmm. no, because the iPod Fat had video on it. Like there was like um one of the That's older iPods. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because you could Cause, use because the, the Office exists entirely past season one because of the iPod deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But what I was going to say was I'm pretty sure that the specs for the Wii U were already in in place sometime around 2009 before the iPad was revealed. Um, not that sense. tablets were an original idea at that point and not that the uh, Wii U would have been specifically what tablets would become. But uh, the original Wii U was two Wiimotes with a, a, a touch screen in the middle. Like that was what Man. the gamepad's prototype was. Yeah. Yeah. And the, um, the, 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 the unfortunate not. thing about the gamepad is it used the same technology as the bottom screen of DS, which was the old yeah. technology for touchscreens, as opposed to the new technology for touchscreens that were was introduced in the iPod Touch and the iPhone. Dude, I cannot believe that this that this MF, this guy that Moriarty brought up, what's his name? Steve Ballmer. Steve Ballmer. Steve Ballmer. I cannot believe that this guy really said, oh, people won't want to touch their screens, but what they will want to do is get up and move around and control and control everything with, like, their arms and legs. He was wrong about think, everything. He's absolutely think about, wrong about everything. In context, that one, like, the touchscreen part, I don't get, but in context, the idea of using, like, the Force makes complete sense, because that was every sci-fi thing yeah. ever was, was that. Okay, using mm. the force, but not like making you stand up to do it. Well, most games. I think had it's you hilarious that you've never heard of him this. when he's the sixth wealthiest man in the world. I see. The yeah, only I'm, thing I know him from is he owns the Los Angeles Clippers. The Clippers. He yeah. bought yeah, he the, the Clippers. he bought the team that has never made it past the second round of the playoff. Never once That's in yeah. their. Who he is? Never he's once always going to be second place, team. no matter what. Yeah. It's not and, even um, second place. And it's I like only know. And I only know things about music. God. Well, speaking of music, considering the actual you know topic of this uh I, I think we could bring up spotify as one of the most kind of influential moments right um, well well um, actually it'd be napster it'd be napster no. well i see what he's saying with spotify you, you gotta let I me actually to. give my point before you can no. say i'm wrong um no no it's not wrong just when they continue. launched publicly in 2008 right they i feel revolutionized the sharing and consumption of music because now all of a sudden you no longer had albums you had playlists right so while yes napster changed it and made it a little bit more digital no longer after spotify do you have an album you have the the number one song right you have the uh the playlist of songs you have transitioned it right from where there's no longer oh we've got an album with a filler song on it Right. We've got an album with mm-hmm. three really good hit songs and then that, you know, other nine that have to be on it. Now you can put out a three song album. And I yeah. think that's really changed how artists look at it, um, followed, of course, then by TikTok and how it has additionally uh, even even shortened everything it. even further. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, so many songs think- now just get to the uh, just get like you, you'll see so many two or three minute songs. They're two minute songs now versus yeah. what it used to be where there was a set structure that was like three minutes and change. Yeah. Uh, and now an album is half an hour. Look, yeah, Moriarty's absolutely right, though, that these are three clear inflection points in technology 
that revolu- that revolutionized the music industry, right? So back during the Napster days, right? Napster made music digital to Moriarty's earlier point. Um, we wouldn't have, so we wouldn't have Spotify without Napster, full stop. We wouldn't have digital music without Napster. We wouldn't have had LimeWire, all of it, right? Um, but what's really funny to me is the parallel universe in which Sony buys Napster. They had the opportunity to at one point when, uh, when Napster was at its kind of its peak and when Metallica was, um, getting everything, you know, messed up around there. Sony had the opportunity to buy Napster, but instead they chose the short term, uh, they chose the short term payout and they sued Napster instead. If Sony had bought Napster, we see a we see a service like Spotify come out of Napster organically much quicker. I don't quicker. think so. I, don't I think, think so. so. I, I, I think th- so. Hundred. I think what we would have seen is exactly what we did see from their competitor Apple with the iTunes Store. Mm. I think we would have immediately yeah, seen you know what? if they right. bought it, Napster, it we would have there. seen that. And yeah. we would have seen more ringtones. We would have seen more go oh, buy a ringtone for four ninety nine mm-hmm. um, because Sony is is not capable of thinking ahead like that. Uh, I, I don't Yo, no, think we right. would have seen it. You're right, but I suppose in this in this alternate universe they could see ahead because they decide to buy Napster. But Well so so my thought in that <laughs> yeah. front is that if we're talking around that era uh, I don't think it's – I think it's that if Sony buys Napster, uh, like, yes, you see Apple jump into the fray uh, sooner or more um, – in a more pronounced fashion sooner. Mm-hmm. But I think that Sony buying Napster in that instance would mean that the music industry is now yet again in control of the distribution process, which is what yeah. Sony has always had a hand in uh, because of their uh, mm-hmm. their their technological – input you know um the 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 cd for example them and phillips together uh, made the the cd commission i I forget the exact name that they made but the 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 joint company that they made i don't know the name Uh, but i know what you're talking about so it'd be interesting because that's that's sort of uh what's the word that sort of uh shift to have like sony records in charge of the distribution of of music at a digital level again means that uh, we don't see the Spotify issue where profits are being held by a third party company. Uh, it's then still held internally by the industry itself, and yeah. I think that would be uh, an interesting shift because the pushback wouldn't be nearly as apparent because yeah. you can't really talk smack about your boss. You can talk smack about the company that's not paying you ad revenue. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to talk bad about Sony Music if you're one of the, what, 10,000 active artists that are on the label. Yeah, because there's only like four yeah. record labels. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. No, that makes sense. And, and I mean, I do have a, a more um, a more maybe relatable music example, if you guys are willing to indulge me for a second. Um, God, isn't that what this podcast is? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. We all indulge each other. Um so, uh, and Justin, you get one in the tank because I'm coming to you next. But uh, basically, Phil Collins invented this whole technique in music making by accident that defined the entire 80s. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, there's a technique in music production called gated reverb. It's not important what it is, but what is important is that Phil Collins accidentally discovered it, I guess, because his engineer left the talkback mic on. 
and or that's the legend anyway. The engineer left the talkback mic on, and Phil Collins was like, "Yo, that sounds cool." And so he like made uh he like took that effect and just like ran with it, right? And that's the entire. 80s. They put it on drums. They put it on guitars, synthesizers, vocals, right? You listen to In the Air tonight, it's on Phil Collins' vocals and the drums, everything real, real wet. And it's really uh, interesting when you know what you're listening for. So I did um, put a little bit of a, I have a little bit of a soundboard uh, effect here um, that I'm going to play. I have a, a vocal sample of mine that's raw, and then a vocal sample of mine that has the effect on it. Should I play them? <laughs> um, sure. Okay. So I'll play them, and uh, I'll uh, we'll we'll edit it in post for the for the the folks at home. So this is the sample with no reverb. She knows that she's too much for me I know that I can't take the heat She just keeps turning it up She... I cannot stop these in the middle, so I apologize. Uh, here's the one now. Now that's that's just the dry vocals, right? And here's the effect. Here's the Phil Collins gated reverb effect. Is everyone excited? Here it is. She knows that she's too much for me. I know that I can't take the heat. She just keeps turning it up. She. <laughs> so that's it. I appreciate that's you showing us what reverb is. <laughs> no, it's it's a specific type of reverb. It's it's called gated reverb. The idea uh, is that you chop off the tail of the reverb. It's really cool, and I think it's awesome. Um, and it's that '80s sound. It's that big, huge, like stadium arena rock type effect. Super chill, super cool. So anyway, um, I digress. Unless anyone has any other thoughts on that, um, Justin, do you have any other examples? I think that they should put tooth tunes into more toothbrushes. That's something that should have. That's idea. something that should have changed everything, but didn't. Did anyone ever have those toothbrushes where you would you would? It's like it was a mecha, it was a motorized um, yeah, yeah. toothbrush. Mm -hmm. You put it in your mouth, you you'd brush your teeth, and um, while you were brushing your teeth, it would play a song, and because it was touching your teeth, it would play in your head. Um, yeah, it was super. Oh, but the thing was, they put it on like a little mechanism that when you push the toothbrush back is when it would play the music. Mm -hmm. So when you would take it out of your mouth, it would stop playing. Yep. And then it would it have like a song, cool. and then it would end the song when you were done brushing your teeth to let you know you brushed your teeth long. Yeah. Um, they should have done and yet something kids, like that. And yet kids still didn't brush their teeth for the appropriate amount of time. No, they couldn't <laughs> do it. I mean, maybe. Yeah. We should... We should do that with soap. We so should. You get soap, and then rubbing it between your hands plays music through your fingers, yeah. so that it lasts exactly twenty seconds on loop, so <laughs> that uh, you can then make sure your hands are clean. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, think I, we I just think every machines. time, every time that you use a soap dispenser, it should just play the ice cream truck theme song for for however long you're supposed to wash your hands. Do you mean the masterpiece song? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do have another one that that I think um, was was pretty influential. Sure. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about how Nico doesn't read, and so Amazon Kindle. Uh, yeah. This has been a very big change to sort of the literary community. Um, not only the the e reader itself, right? The idea of having an e reader, but the system and the platform behind it because not only did the device transform the way that people consume books i know many many people that are readers that now just use ebooks for everything uh 
you know, the the having that accessible on a handheld device, being able to have 50 books or yeah. 500 Dude, books and, or and whatever. And not needing a huge. physical bookmark, too. Absolutely huge. Uh, yeah. I know that once I, I used to spend somewhere around like 30 bucks a week on books. I, I would mm-hmm. go every weekend and buy a couple of books. And uh, it's not hard to spend $30 because that can be one book or five, right? Mm-hmm. And I would buy a bunch of different things to read. And then once Kindle came out, uh, I found that it was a lot easier to do that. And they tend to be cheaper as well, uh, yeah. which is helpful for me. Yeah. But more importantly, they also introduced their self-publishing uh, platform, which is called Kindle Direct. And I happen to know this because I've been looking at publishing a book. Uh, and I feel that that democratizes sort of the publishing world in a way that we've never really seen. It used to be that if you had a book, sort of like today, if you have a movie, right? I, I, you could compare it at some point to music, but you really can't anymore. Um, but if you had a book similar to a movie, you have to send it to somebody who has to first of all actually see it which is very very difficult right that's the first filter and maybe 99% are never seen and then of the 1% that are actually seen you have to get through the person who chooses to filter out that book right or that movie uh, and they may just be like oh it's about women I don't care oh it's about <laughs> uh, science fiction I don't care we don't do westerns anymore right and even if it's the greatest western science fiction film about women because that person doesn't like those three things that film is never getting through the filter, no matter what you do. Whereas now we have this uh, a publishing system where you can go and it's incredibly inexpensive, if not free. And you can put up this book and you can sort of, I don't want to say revolutionize, but it removes the traditional gatekeeper and allows you to kind of reach into the reader itself directly. And it creates this incredible diverse library now, literal library. and this diverse landscape with all sorts of indie authors and today the the wealthiest author in the whole world as of like the past couple of years here and i'm talking like terms of revenue not you know personal wealth uh is the guy uh, his name is brandon sanderson he did uh he's a little indie develop indie writer who managed to get some very lucky breaks along the way and he sold a thing on kickstarter or whatever for kindle published books for like 40 million dollars for like three books it's insane Absolutely insane. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's you've got all sorts of genres that didn't exist. So I'm a big fan of a genre called lit RPG, which is as nerdy as it sounds, I promise you. And it's basically just a whole bunch of different isekais, right? Oh, uh, okay. But, I, but thought, I thought it was going to be RPGs with like a bunch of uh, like drugs and booze in it. Yeah, it's, it's more like people lit. being pulled into <laughs> video games. Uh, it's incredibly nerdy, but I really love them a lot. And mm. this whole genre doesn't really exist without the ability to do this right because you had a couple of people who were very uh successful at it and they created a few different stories in that sort of universe uh or rather in those universes and then they were very very successful but they never would have gotten through the traditional publishing it never would have happened so i think that the the kindle itself is very influential but the kindle direct is also incredibly influential i'll take that and i will raise you the printing press. <laughs> <laughs> Eli me. Whitney. He brought. He really brought up Eli Whitney on the podcast. Didn't he make the cotton gin? <laughs> Who cares? Yeah, yeah you're thinking that. A few hundred no, no, years no. too late on that one. Eli no. Whitney and and his printing press. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Eli Whitney and the Printing Press. It's a new genre of literary magnificence. I'll be honest with you. The thing I find the most impressive about the Guggenheim Bible. Yeah, yeah, all three. Sorry, wait, I, I have one more bit, Justin. Sorry. I want to invent the cotton rum. That's it. That's the bit. Justin, continue. Okay. Um. So I, the, the thing I found the most interesting about a Kindle itself, um, and this is more about the technology of it, the fact that it had like a paperback screen. Because at the time, mm. there was nothing ever like mm. that. So it made it actually feasible for you to read it like a book. If it was yeah. just an iPad, it wouldn't work as well as it, as it did, I think. Yeah. Being able to read it in bright light and be able to read it, um, you know, kind of like wherever, like you could a book. The one thing that does suck about it, I actually switched over to an iPad as my Kindle. It's the only thing I use my iPad for. It's a, it's a glorified Kindle. So that's why you don't sleep. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just constantly laying in bed with an iPad. He's just um, like reading feverishly, like well, I can scrolling turn off the light, through pages. Right? So like That's so the big quickly. thing for me is I can turn off the light and that helps because I'll just pass out on an iPad. Uh, I can't turn off the light with Wait, a Kindle. Wait, hold up. Are you like a teenage girl, like on your stomach texting when you read? You fall <laughs> oh asleep my on God, the iPad? He has, he has yes, his like feet. Yeah. His feet his yeah. are like up in the air, like twiddling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's on, That's he's like curling, curling his hair and he's just like, I wonder hey, when she'll I'm call reading, me. <laughs> I wonder when she'll call me. I'm reading my iPad. <laughs> I don't understand what's so funny about this incredibly accurate <laughs> <laughs> oh man dude <laughs> i know i uh, i really do think that like because i mean you had screens like the game boy and stuff before and that was kind of everything before the game boy sp with backlit screens yeah but even the game boy right the original game boy you had come with a light yeah so yeah i was gonna say so so I never understood why they didn't just backlight those screens to begin with it would be uh triple the price Right. Because the Game Gear had a backlit screen, and it was, uh, I want to say, actually three times the price of a Game Boy. And the Game Boy being so accessible is what made it yeah. Uh, yeah, the powerhouse that it, it was. was. Plus the it was battery, 100. I mean, right? The, the, the Sega, yes, that too. It lasted for an hour. Mm-hmm. If yeah, that's that. fair. The, yeah, and that the Game Gear took six batteries, and it lasted an hour. And the Game Boy was four batteries, and it lasted for 20. And, mm-hmm. uh, the, and the Game Boy came in coming out at $99. And coming with pack and game Tetris. Was it ninety nine dollars? That's wildly the, the, inexpensive. The tech just wasn't there otherwise. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's crazy. Really and it came with pack and Tetris. Like it, that was the game that mm-hmm. was sold with the console. Again, kind of why Tetris is the most high selling game ever, because anyone and their mom could have a Game Boy, and anyone and their mom having a Game Boy meant they had Tetris. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, that makes a lot of sense. And that even went into Nintendo's whole strategy of we're marketing these as toys, which uh, comes into, I think, what might have been the unintentional impetus for this uh, topic or something that you brought up when we were all hanging out in person recently that was based on the topic that we then talked about, which was I had brought up uh, Super Mario Brothers not because of uh, what it did for like the genre or anything like that. But because in the U.S. specifically, if you don't have a game like Super Mario Bros. to launch with the NES as a toy rather than launching it as a game system, where does the industry go post video game crash? Yeah. Yeah. Do we start seeing, you know, the uh, the, the U.K. game companies? Um, do we see Ultimate Play the Game being the biggest game company in the world? Um, they already kind of were for a while. Yeah. They, yeah but I mean, do Honestly. they... 
do they become the biggest game company <laughs> like, in the world yeah. in in US and everything yeah uh, do they even change their name to rare <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> um like do, do you we... see the growth of the personal computer console like the commodore or the zx spectrum or the yeah, um, yeah. etc question famicom question that i have no yeah. famicom um, no. question i have does the nes do as well as it does without rob cuz rob was like the toy that rob was marketed is... with thing to be a toy so I think that that's a bit of revisionist history. Like it did launch with Rob as one of the uh, things that was like meant to sell it as a toy. But I think that very quickly that was um, if if you it was thrown away because there's only like two or three games for it. Well, there is that, but I even mean like as soon as you get a game like Mario Bros. Anyway, the yeah. Rob was their way of getting it in the Toys R Uses on the toy shelves to get the system in the door. That, was that the doesn't mean it was going to sell. Mm -hmm. It just became a, a one holiday item. It's no different than those robotic dogs you got in 99 or 2001. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yes. I remember those. That's, yeah, that's the what the Rob sunny. was, where you forget it exists after a year. Yeah. Um, but the without Nintendo considering the system a toy for the sake of getting it on shelves and avoiding the the video game uh, ick, the, the, the connotation that came with being a video game in the post-Atari crash world. Uh, yeah. mm. Well, I say world, but country. Because, again, games were doing completely differently. Uh, in They were doing to totally fine in Japan. They were doing better than ever in well, Europe. Well, they were doing fine reason. in Japan because Super Mario Brothers two years before that. Well, mm -hmm. I mean that too, but I'm talking like if you look at um like the the Turbo Graphics or the PC Engine was doing well in PC Japan. Yeah, like, there was yeah, a war. Bonk. Everybody was very uh, big fan of Monk. <laughs> yeah, the, was there that. was a war going on between <laughs> that and the Mega Drive. Like there was a healthy games industry in Japan even without mm -hmm. Nintendo being involved. Uh, I, the, in, the, the thing though, right? Like, and this is one of those. I don't want to call it nuance, but it's definitely a semantics thing here. Yes, there was a market in the UK, and yes, there was a market in, in Japan. But when you look at the global video games market, 99.5% of that was still the US, right? Like, there wasn't a games market, even though there was, right, in terms of just raw dollars. Um, and this is why when Atari had their crash, the revenue for the game industry overall was a 99% drop. I think that that's um I think that's a US centric number though. I think if you look at like the sales of of video games from 83 to 85 in Japan, they were they were still uh competitive with the US. The systems were still selling at a comparable level to the US. It's only after Mario Bros that you see uh the NES skyrocket here in the US to the point that now the US is 99% uh, of the industry. You know what I mean? Like before I that I don't I'm, think so. I think I think that if you look at uh, at the time, right, 1983, if you look at the time when revenues plummeted that much, uh, it was worldwide global revenues that had plummeted that much because of the United States and because Japan and the UK weren't seeing that much revenue. There were a lot of games that were coming out. There's a lot of stuff that's happening, a lot of innovation that's happening, but the games themselves weren't weren't pressing that much profit. Were the Pong consoles still doing fine? Was it like just the Atari no. stuff, or was it everything? Say, <laughs> did did people really buy Pong consoles? Oh, they all the time. They yeah. The very first the... consoles were just one game. They were hard. Yeah, it was just for hard coded for game. Pong. Yeah, and I mean, Nintendo huh. has their own Pong console too. Nintendo made Pong consoles before the Famicom and the uh, the, the, the so NES. I'm just looking here, right? Um, 
1982, the year before in Japan, it was 1.3 billion, of which almost all of that was Space Invaders. Mm, okay. So the market existed, but it was the, Space Invaders. So the market existed mainly for the arcades. The home consoles was what really crashed. Right. Yeah, oh, that absolutely. Yeah, that's always been the thing. The the arcades were fine. Right. Arcades are, are a big thing. They were very, you know, uh, successful. All of these game companies came out of it. And the console is a home console arcade. Right. So they would take these arcade games and they would port them to uh, one off uh, consoles that you would plug in and be able to play. It's like the joysticks or, that you plug right, with the yeah, coax. Exactly. Yeah. So the market, when we're talking about consoles, right, is very it always has been very U.S. centric and it still was at that point. Um at least, you know, as far as we know today, based off of the, the, the numbers. But so yeah. I'll jump in because I, I was curious. So I had to I had to search it up. Um, the the Famicom in Japan alone was selling uh, sold more in that 83 to 85 span than it did until 89 in the U.S., even counting Mario Bros. So I think I think a lot of the numbers that we have from 83 to 85 uh a, Japan's a lot more secretive with their numbers uh, as far as the game industry players go uh, up until a point. Right, but it would uh, be pre-83, because that's when the crash happened. We'd be looking at, you know, 1981-82. That's when those numbers would be most relevant. Sure, yeah, yeah. What, what I'm saying is that the systems, like, there there were several systems doing better in Japan during that era than they were uh, in the years prior. Hmm. Because I mean, the home console market was exploding as the crash is happening here because there wasn't really as much of a home console market before the 8-bit era in Japan. So it sure. was a, it was an yeah. inverse. Oh, so I mean, they didn't really sense, though. they didn't really have anything but prior to that, so they weren't burned well, whereas the US market got burned by the Atari console just flooding the market with terrible games. It wasn't even Atari that was flooding it. That's well, it wasn't the Atari thing, right? themselves, That's... it was other companies making things for the Atari. Right, which is why Nintendo introduced their whole quality seal thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, because and ironically <laughs> led to the issues that we see today with uh, with companies not wanting to put certain stuff out. Um, what they did is they locked down through kind of early DRM the physical manufacturing of mm-hmm. the, the uh, cartridge. So in order to make a Nintendo cartridge, you had to pay them to do it, mm-hmm. which we now see them still doing with the Switch and all that. The cartridges, yeah. Yeah, which is what led to the Sega lawsuit with um, uh, Teng- Tengen. Tengen? Yeah, yeah Tengen. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, there's an interesting thing to dive into with like the, the actual... Uh, the revenue differences uh, as the crash happens before the crash uh, and afterwards, because um, even if you look in the UK or in Europe, for example, one of the things that I'll throw out, uh, this isn't something that changed everything, but mm-hmm. one of the things that I'll throw out, and I don't like using this as the specific example, but uh, Persona 5. Best game. Oh and the reason, the reason oh I say that is God. if you look at console sales in the UK and game sales in the UK, there's always been a significant lag uh, for games made in Japan because of the need for localization and multiple translations in the UK. Or not, I'm sorry, in, the, in Europe between the UK having a slightly different uh, set of standards than the US. Uh, not even dialect, just uh, uh, publishing standards uh, mm-hmm. to uh, needing an Italian version, a, a Spanish version, and all of those regions needing their own localized hubs for um, publishing things. Nintendo didn't care. If you look at the sales, like I, I pulled this up and this is what inspired this. Um, you pull up the sales of the systems. The, uh, the NES did not sell a total 1 million copies until 1990. 
Jesus. five years after it came out in the U.S., seven years, eight years after it came out in the uh, in, in Japan. That's in the world because, yeah, no, in, no, in Europe. Oh, in Europe. Okay. So the so the NES came out the same time in Europe as it did in the U.S., except it only sold twenty thousand copies in that first year. Twenty thousand NESs were sold in in Europe in That's the first year. Kind of right. Whereas conversely, when when the uh... Nintendo released Zelda in 1986. We know there were at least a million co- uh, a million NESs because it yeah. sold a million copies. By that, by that point, there were two, two million. Uh, again, but at least we know for a fact there's at least a million copies yeah. in 1986 in Japan alone because they sold a million copies of the very first Zelda. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I thought you meant in the U.S., sorry. Because in the U.S., by the time that uh, that Zelda comes out, they've now sold about two million copies, in part because of Zelda's launch. Yeah. Um, but uh, in the UK, I'm looking at the numbers, 20,000 from 85 to 86, uh, and then another 160,000 from 86 to 87. But, but it I makes don't think sense. Zelda came they, out They had such point. a completely different culture. At the, and we've yes. talked about this because of a video that I'm working on here. We, we talked about it in depth. They had a very different culture in the UK and in yes. Europe uh, towards games because of, well, modding. And kind of creating your own thing and, and sort of this uh, this culture that you would continue to see exist up until um, a company called id really kind of <laughs> jumped id, in baby. there and made their first doom. Uh, <laughs> but they were working for companies that would produce um, pieces of code. Right. And they would put this code uh, in the back of magazines and you would get the yep. code and write your own game. And then they would also put these little games that they made onto floppy disks and send them out with the magazines, right? Floppy sort of like, disks or even um, uh, actual uh, tapes. Yeah, tapes. Like, like, like little um, cassette tapes. So you'd take both of these things, they'd send them out to, to these companies, right, or to, to customers who paid them for it. And um, that's where they, they were copying Nintendo and came up with uh, Dangerous Dave and copyright mm-hmm. infringement, Dangerous which then Dave. turned into uh, Commander Keen, yeah. which then... They used Commander Keen's money to create Wolfenstein after mm-hmm. they did, what was it, Phantasm or whatever? I can't, can't remember. Wrath of the Mask of the whatever. I forget the um, name, too. And they also did some, some tank game, names. Super Tank or whatever. And then after that, they created Wolfenstein, which then led to Doom. I always yeah. forget that Wolfenstein yeah. was before Doom, considering how impactful Doom was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah but like that same culture still exists stuff. where you've got these people who are creating these kind of lists of games that you can create off of codes, right? And putting them in the back of magazines and people would buy the magazines to get the code to write their own games at home. Uh, or they would buy these little tapes and, and floppies mm-hmm. and stuff in order to have these tiny little indie games. Uh, so that yeah. culture still existed at the same time that we see these consoles that are, you know, rising up and selling millions and millions yeah. and millions of copies. That whole period of time is really, really, really really fascinating because you don't have this sort of unified video game that we do today where where we see with the microsoft activision you know stuff uh uh, judges are saying that screaming and consoles and uh pc and 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 mobile they're all the same game industry we don't see that anymore right like that's not at that point so. To jump it to jump it back to what I was getting at, uh, bet- between that and the fact that the systems didn't need or, or didn't have a, a purpose uh, in the UK in particular, but then also in Europe, thanks to all these delayed releases, uh, because of those things, you don't see home console gaming take off in the way that you do in the US, where Nintendo is king, or in Japan, where Nintendo is still king. Uh, you <laughs> see like a Sega market in, in Europe for a while. But yeah. the reason that I say that is then because... 
it's because of Atlas, I would argue, that you start seeing the the breakthrough of the the Japanese not not of the Japanese RPG, but the Japanese RPG in the post PS1 slump that happened mm-hmm. to the genre because it just it just kind of people got tired of it and they wanted action games uh, as the as the console hardware expanded. But with a game like Persona 5, uh, it took a while to come out in the in the US or in Europe because of localization. Mm-hmm. But you start seeing around then, around 2016, same time that Pokemon starts trying to localize all at the same time, this more active effort to bring Japanese games day and date with the uh, with in, in the European market, in the US market, so that everyone doesn't have to avoid uh, spoilers in an internet age. And um, I think a game like Persona 5, as well as a game like Yakuza 0, uh, both kind of indicated that games that are profoundly Japanese mm-hmm. have a market immediately in other regions, uh, in part because you can find them more easily thanks to the internet, obviously. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it's an interesting thing because around that time is when you see Sega buy Atlas and essentially have Atlas or Atlas's uh, localization sub team localizing every Sega game at that point so that they're all coming out day and date in every region. And I think that that uh, I don't think that I, I specifically give Persona 5 the exact credit for that, but I think that Persona 5 is one of the two or three games that at that exact moment in time, they were the right game at the right time huh. in the not- right place to lead it's, to the industry uh, uh, shifting how it handles uh, not treating Europe like a tertiary market, but treating it like it's, hey, maybe we should actually try there. Not the game we deserve, but the game that we need right now. Yeah, um, I mean, there's there's games that are just exist that we wouldn't have gotten outside of the original market they were made if not for something like a Persona 5. Like, there's a reason why The Greatest Attorney just came out on... Um, on Switch and Go everything. further back, Final Fantasy. Because there were several Final yeah, Fantasies that did not come out outside of Japan because by the time that they would have been localized, it was too late. Yeah. What's the point in releasing uh, Final Fantasy uh, 3, in uh, the uh, the real Final Fantasy 3, outside of, uh, outside of Japan when the SNES is already out in the US? So you release Final Fantasy 4 there as Final Fantasy 2 because people don't want last-gen games. Yeah. And how many people were playing Dragon Warrior? I mean, how much did that really even matter for people? Because, mm-hmm. people, I mean, Dragon <laughs> Warrior games are still coming out on the NES when the SNES was out. Yeah, and, and that's because it was so huge in Japan and the adoption rate for uh, new consoles didn't affect the sales of old console games, uh, both in general for a while. Uh, like you still saw the the NES doing well after the SNES dropped. You still saw the Master System doing well after the Genesis dropped, uh, to a lesser extent, obviously. But it's not like now, where when a new console drops, Everything the old dies. one is essentially yeah. dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, until I mean, the PS4, PS5 jump is a little bit different in that, yeah. because now we're at the point where the systems are just, hey, it's that but better. Yeah, and um, um I so. That was I great. think the adoption rates are really important part of that that conversation mm-hmm. too because you know you look at the PlayStation Two there were games released for that forever after the PlayStation. Oh my! 3 I think the out. last PS Two game was like 2013. Yeah, it was 2013. Yeah. It was. It was like, exactly. still being released for a long time because you know you've got a hundred million of them out there. You still have the player mm-hmm. base to do it. Um, that's a whole different discussion that I don't know. I, I super yeah, want to have, I but I have. A, I don't think today's really, the day for that. <laughs> I have a really fun sort of tinfoil conspiracy uh, thought about having these very low-end 
consoles that have such very high-end um, user bases and how that affects sort of the technological evolution of, of gaming. Because I think when you look at it and you say, okay, so the Switch has 150 million players or something stupid like that. Um, do you not make the game for the Switch? And if you do make the game for the Switch, boy, do you lower the, the specs of your game? Mm -hmm. And I think that there is a, if not always conscious, there's definitely an unconscious bias towards making a game that can run on the Switch uh, towards a game that can't. And I, I think that there's there's some discussion to be had there about whether or not, and again, not not intentional in any way, but there's certainly some discussion, I think, to be had there about whether or not a device like the Switch unintentionally holds back uh, the the evolution of certain parts of gaming as an industry. So I'll I'll throw out for that one. Um, I I think that there's there's a longer conversation to be had, maybe on a separate Crubcast for that because yeah. it's a really interesting topic. But the short version of what I'll say is I don't think it's necessarily a a holding back uh, necessarily. Um, I, it, it's such a nuanced topic that it's yes, so hard super to get nuanced. into. Yeah. Why I, was like, uh, I don't think they, it's right for this. I'll but. say honestly, one of the Final Fantasy, like one of the Final Fantasy 16 producers, literally said, "I'm pretty sure today, at the time of recording, uh, that it would be better for there to be one console because then you could maximize for that hardware instead of having three or the twins and then mm -hmm. the Switch." Um, and then also in that case, having to develop for last gen systems because of the COVID affecting adoption rates uh, to some extent. Uh, I, I would argue system. that we do have one system, and that's the PC. And if you just yeah okay you know, okay <laughs> no, if you just made it for a PC, then you've got the versions that can run on a Switch and a PlayStation and everything else as well. Yeah, well, that's, I mean they're Is all developed true? for for PC first at this point anyway. Besides, uh, well, no, in general, games. even Japanese even, games even Switch games don't really. No, they're coding. That. They're coding on like they're, they're designing on, on, PC. on yeah, obviously. Well, they're like designing the a PC game that it's like, okay, this is the hardware we have to target. Like, it's not, like, they're not using dev kits nearly as much. I like that they'll make it work for PC and consoles, and then they just, like, will not make a game work for Mac. And it's like, well, it seems like... We're talking about player bases here. It's just not seems, a huge it just seems counterintuitive. It feels anyone, like... A, anyone who has a Mac yeah. that wants to play games has another has a system for it. They're not going to have a game on their Mac. Yeah, that's very true. I will say... Uh, that's why the, Sim, the Sims exists on Mac, and that's it. That's all you need. Yeah, yeah you're seeing Minecraft some of them come. You see things like, like The Sims. You see Fortnite, the mega properties that make sense. Death Stranding. Yeah. Well, that's just that's that's because Apple has infinite money. They just wanted a Kojima for something. Yeah, that's mm. fair. Um, but I will um, say, if you were holding well, back games for something specific, I would say probably mobile, to be honest with you. Cause, no, because mobile mobile development is a completely different sub-studio. Like, Apex yep. Mobile is not being developed by the same Respawn uh, Yeah, that's group. a whole different thing. Yeah. That's a, that's a I wildly... Think, I think mobile gaming is a, t is a crubcast topic in itself. I hope the not. problem that I have is that I think that if you're coding for the Switch, you should also be coding for mobile, and instead they're coding for the Switch and, and it's, it's It's like yeah. the Switch and mobile should be on one side and everything else should be on the other, yes. but instead Switch That's is on this I side think. and mobile This is here. my, my grand, sense. you know, hot take, is that the Switch is, is not just the Switch, but several different things throughout the history of gaming have sort of been these... Uh, big barriers that have these massive user bases that nobody can kind of get past. And uh, because of that, once they eventually do, we see these big jumps in in uh, technology. But I think we would have had them already. 
without I, the, I, the massive player bases. To, to some extent, uh, I think in the past that would be the case. I don't know that I believe anymore uh, that that would be the case after like 2019 or so. Um, mainly because at a point, all of the switchboards were just the sliders are turned down. Yeah. And they made sliders an applicable thing that you can actually touch on console, you know, accessibility options and um, uh, visual sliders and, and, and all those settings. Um, it was it was Total Biscuit, I believe, that was the one that pioneered, hey, I'm going to bully you until you do that. Yes. <laughs> yes, he did. Um, and yes, that he did. and that meant that made everyone realize, oh, all these games are just PC games. Yeah. And so I think that the switch ports are usually a separate team finding ways to scale back rather than we have to design with the switch in mind, especially now, uh, you know, after like 2020 ish, like in 2021 onward, you, you start seeing that effort uh, lessened more and more because the switch's main games are games being made for the switch rather than ports. Yeah. Mm. You know, like when, when Activision says Call of Duty is going to come to the switch. No, it's not. No, it's, <laughs> no, no, it's yeah, not. It's going to end up like there will the, be, like there will be on a the Call Wii. of Duty on it, but I mean, well, it'll be on the Switch too, or whatever. Yeah. That's what yeah. I'm saying. It's like the Switch Which, One probably won't. Right. Justin has done the honors of finding us a Patreon question of the week. I have indeed, so Justin. Um, from would you like to from patron Andy underscore Mind P? Um, the question of the day is: What is a gaming console you feel had lost potential? It could have done even a little bit better than it did. I felt this one kind of tied in with the topic a little bit well. Dreamcast. I was going to say the, the correct answer is the Dreamcast. Yeah, um, that's just the right answer. <laughs> it's the right answer. The Dreamcast, man. What I, a I have cool an, I console have an that just didn't that's do not anything. That. Like, it was doomed either way, even if you discount all of Sega being the most chaotic place to work possible yes. uh, in the games industry. Like, the PS2 was going to demolish it no matter what. But, man, imagine. Imagine if we had a couple more years of the Dreamcast, man. I think the Wii could have done more with one it. of the most successful consoles of all time <laughs> no not monetarily i mean technologically if it, like if it was more technologically advanced it wouldn't have sold as well because it then it would expensive. be too expensive yeah. too expensive yeah it always comes down to being more expensive because that's the, the we did does. so well yeah. because it was like 200 bucks or was it, it was 200 300 bucks? bucks it was two, 300, 300 bucks at the time yeah uh, and when we're talking about we're about to enter a recession by the time that system's yeah. dropping that's true. Uh, and now you have something for all you want to make it as cheap as possible. Yeah. 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 That's and fair. on top of that, right. Grandparents were able to buy it cause it was, it was cheap and simple. So it was one of those things where it's like, I'll just get one for each house I go to. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, and I, know how to those, I, I know how to use a TV remote. That's, that's kind of the gimmick is that it's kind of like a TV remote. So you just point it at the TV yeah. and it works like a TV remote. Yeah. I suppose Meanwhile, I wish the, the sensor cast, worked a little though, better. Well, of course we, we've got things like, you know, uh, um, Fantasy Star Online, which is incredibly interesting. You've got Jet Set Radio. You've got um, I don't know all sorts of Sega first. Oh, party of course, things Pokemon. Are... Pokemon. Of course, Pokemon on the on we'll the Sega story one day. <laughs> yeah, um, one day we'll all tell these the story. incredibly visionary pieces of of content <laughs> I mean, that are coming. I, I out. just think that the, that the VMU is such an interesting concept for a an accessory for the console. Well, There's what's so interesting, interesting is things. I think the pocket station existed before the VMU, which is the fun part, uh, but it only came out in Japan, so it didn't do anything. Yeah, so it's interesting. VMU, a virtual it was memory. The memory card, it was the memory card for the Dreamcast, which you plugged into the controller, but it was also a Tamagotchi-style screen, so you could play mm -hmm. mini-games on it. Oh, see, mm -hmm. I, I like that because I don't have to get up and stand up to put my memory card in and you console. don't have to throw out another one that would be interesting to have um and only because 
wow, it would have been wild to see this do well was the Neo Geo from SNK. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? that would have been really, really mm-hmm. cool to see it do well. Because really? it was, I mean, but who could afford two hundred dollars a game? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was yeah. a, it was literally an arcade board that you'd plug into your TV and you had an arcade cabinet as a console, and it was and the cartridges yeah. were literally. I mean, there's no good scale of reference, but like this is a normal water bottle in my hand. Um, it was like three times the size of this. Yeah. Like the huh. super neat. I think but it did okay in Japan too. It was just a different cultural yeah. uh, uh, style. Because the idea that I think is, made that, that thing. 1990. What would two hundred dollars be in today? A lot. It's a good. Quite, yeah, a lot. Because I think theoretically, like, uh, so it would be four hundred and seventy dollars for so one I'm game. Four hundred and seventy dollars on a single game. I mean, that's geez. not Fortnite. <laughs> and, and think about it, like oh you can buy an arcade one up now Genshin. for three hundred dollars. Oh, Genshin. Yeah, Genshin. Um, yeah. Justin spent a lot of money on Genshin. But like, uh, but like, you know, like the arcade one ups you see at like Walmart. Those things are three hundred bucks now, and those basically yeah. do what an arcade one up does, but for ten games in one package. And you get yeah. an entire cabinet with it, like the entire wood yeah. paneling and everything that goes into yeah. the cabinet. And then you can just yeah. you can just get a Raspberry Pi and put the rest of them on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, that's an incredible piece of technology that we didn't talk about today. The Raspberry Pi, man, that's yeah. wildly cool. It got rid of ads. What else yeah. could do? Oh that? yeah, true. I heard about that. I, yeah. I need, I to, think, I need uh, to set one up for my my new place. Uh, right? I haven't done I think, it yet, but it's on my list. I think the Ouya is a console that could have done better. <laughs> it could have. It could have done anything. Oh no! Wait, he's for for our audio listeners out there. Kevin put up the one minute sign in his hand, and he just got up out of his chair. Does he have he's an doing something. Does Kevin have uh, a Ouya? No, I believe I believe he has an Ouya. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, there uh, is. There see in the oh box. my god! In it's, the box. It's I even... spent uh, I spent like twenty bucks on this, and then the Ouya, the Ouya died like a month later. That's wow. awesome. It I had bought the that place like years ago because I was going to do a video on the Ouya, and then the Ouya uh, was immediately shut down. So it's now yeah. just a. I can I can pull out the controller while you tell us uh, nice. where they can uh, sign up to get those Patreon questions of the week put into our little form. Yes, they can sign up to get those Patreon questions of the week on our Patreon. I believe it is Crub Official still, right? And um, I think it's patreon.com so slash revolution. Crub. And so begin the revolution. Yeah, so patreon.com slash crub. You can find us at crub.org as Kevin holds up the uh, mid Ouya controller, the mid looking Ouya controller. You can just take off the thing and put the batteries in. The battery goes in the oh, it out. runs on a double A battery. It runs on yep, two double A batteries because it's on, on two double A batteries. Wow. Is it on both um, It is. In 2023, it runs on two AA batteries. Oh, my God. And um, my favorite yeah, game. The buttons, say, the buttons say Ouya. My favorite. The buttons say Ouya. My favorite where's, Ouya game. Where's the X? Yeah, where's the X button? Every game console has an X button, including PC. This thing feels like shit. <laughs> that's why it failed. No X button. My yeah, favorite, that's true. My that's favorite true. Ouya game was Super Sexy Swiss Ambulance Transplant Team. That would be your favorite game. Is it a gotcha game? No. It's a game where yes, you're, where you're a bear um, driving an <laughs> I held it upside down. Yeah, you did. Oh, is that the Ouya? Down. That's the Ouya. I didn't realize because it's so shit. I like that it looks like an Amazon uh, Fire TV cube. It looks like a That's Google shot. So... Yeah. Oh, for real. That's bizarre. You know what we really need you to get now is you need to go pick up an Intellivision. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't want <laughs> oh, no. He faked us out. He faked us out. Well, 
with that, fellas, with I think that's a good place to end this one. Um, you can find us in <laughs> and so begins the revolution, a, the crud revolution. Wild. You can find all of our links in the description. Um, find us at Crub Official on everything except Twitch, which is Crub underscore official. We go live every Tuesday night at 6.30 p.m. Next week, we are going to be a little bit late. Um, don't know exactly when, but we're going to be a little bit late on Tuesday next week. So for those of you who watch live, there it is. Uh, and with that, for Crub, I've been all hell buckets. Crub out. <laughs>